Real Christianity is often confused and distorted. Imperfect people with imperfect beliefs and imperfect actions have caused many to look upon Christianity with contempt. But few people take issue with Jesus. While Christians are imperfect people, they follow a perfect Jesus. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Join Vintage Church as we learn from the brother of Jesus, James, and discover what it means to live Christianly. Let's stand together and we are going to read James chapter 1 verses 19 through 27. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can open it up there or You can see the words on the screen. We'll read it out loud together. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last week, we began a brand new series through the book of James called Christianly. Because what James, the brother of Jesus and the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem, was trying to do was to try and get Christians and us as Christians to live Christianly, to think and feel and act Christianly. So I want to encourage you, if you're new, you're looking for resources, you're looking for last week's message, or you want to look at today's notes. Today's notes are already online. You can scan the QR code or check out that link right there, and you can find all of the resources right there. But as we jump in, I want to give you some statistics that I read this week that I think help us frame the discussion and the conversation that we're going to have today. The Barna Research Group this past spring did a study and they asked some people some questions. And it's this, when we asked Americans whether they have a positive or negative opinion of Jesus, 7 in 10 or 71% say they view him positively. That's, those are pretty good odds, right? 7 out of 10. But listen to these stats. Only 47% have a positive view of the church's 
in their community. Now, that's not just church broadly or church across the country. That's 47% of churches where? In their community, right where they live. Listen to this one. Only 44% have a positive view of pastors. People don't like me. (laughs) Now listen to this. The number one reason for people to doubt Christianity is hypocrisy. 42% of non-Christians said hypocrisy over things like science, suffering, conflict, or even other world religions was the reason that they had a problem with the church and church leaders. So as you let those statistics sink in, I want us to think about what James, the brother of Jesus, the pastor at the Church of Jerusalem, might have to say about those statistics. What he might have to say to us as followers of Jesus right here in the heart of the greater New Orleans area. And here's what I think James says in these few verses, the big idea for today. Regardless the circumstances, meaning there is no circumstance, okay? Regardless the circumstance, there is a way how to never live as a Christian and a way how to always live as a Christian. Did you get that? And it's a little bit confusing, but there's a way that we should never live, and there's a way that we always live, regardless of the circumstances. The circumstances do not change how we are called to live. So, what does James say to us? How are we called to live? First thing is this. The answer is never angry words. Everybody say, never. The answer is never angry words. Look at verses 20 through 21 of James chapter 1. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James brings up the issue of anger. So we have to answer the question, what is anger? Now, what James is not getting at is just a basic level of frustration, right? How many of you have ever been frustrated before in your life? Right, we've all been frustrated. Things are going to happen, right? Stuff is going to break. People are going to frustrate us. It's not that anger equals a basic level of frustration. The kind of anger that James is getting at can be defined or described like this. It is wrath or rage or violent anger that disrupts communities. James is saying that's the kind of anger where the, that is never the answer. Know about you, but in my marriage, there are a few topics that seem to enrage both my wife and I. 
Very seldom do Rachel and I argue. I mean, in like 15 years of marriage, we have rarely had an argument. But there is one particular topic that when it comes up, it incites some anger. And it happens to be our children. (laughs) The two humans that we love the most seem to incite the greatest amount of rage, anger, and wrath inside of us. And the reason I think that is true is because Rachel and I both love our children unconditionally. And because we love our kids unconditionally, we always want what's best for our kids. But there are moments in our marriage where what I think is best for Gabe or what I think is best for Emmeline or Rachel begins to think that there's a different answer. And one of the things that Rachel and I have had to learn to do is come to this place where even though we might disagree, we both agree that we have the best intentions for our children. One of the things that uh, is like marriage counseling 101 for me, anytime I sit down with a couple, this is what I tell them. Sometimes you have to remind each other, hey, we're on the same team. James is telling us, like, listen, there's going to be things that pop up in life, things that anger us and enrage us and frustrate us, but we have to be careful to not allow that anger to be destructive. Now, what James does in these few verses is he gives us a progression of how we move from this anger to this kind of destruction. And everything begins with this. It begins with unchecked sin. So where this starts is it starts with unchecked sin because there's something going on in our hearts and in our minds and we're just ignoring it. And when we begin to ignore unchecked sin, what happens is that leads to uncontrolled anger. Because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to convict us of sin and move us to action. And so that unchecked sin leads to uncontrolled anger, where we feel justified in the kind of anger that we might have towards an issue. And that That uncontrolled anger then leads to uncontrolled speech. This is why James has such a problem with uncontrolled anger, because he knows that that uncontrolled anger is not going to stay internal. It's going to erupt into uncontrolled speech. And when you are talking and you're angry at the same time, do you ever think, Rarely, right? Rarely. Uh, That's from experience, by the way. So that uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech, and when you open your mouth and you say things out of anger that you know you shouldn't say, what it leads to is unnecessary destruction. What James is getting at is that your anger is leading to things that you say that is destroying the community that you're a part of. 
And it doesn't matter if that's your marriage, if that's your parent-child relationship, if that's a friendship, or even if that's the church. James says when you allow unchecked sin to lead to uncontrolled anger, to lead to uncontrolled speech, it will inevitably result in unnecessary destruction. And the issue in all of this is this. James tells us that anger cannot produce righteousness. Now, who's righteous? God, right? It is an attribute of who he is. It is a way to understand who God is. God is righteous. Now, if you've studied the Bible for any amount of time, chances are you hear the word righteous and you think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in his letters talks about God's righteousness all the time. But James has a different nuance to this word. James is not necessarily referring to righteousness being something that's imputed or given to us. That's the way that Paul uses the word righteousness. What James is getting at is righteousness is an attribute of God, which therefore should become an attribute of who? Us. So when we think about righteousness in the book of James, we're talking about concepts like this, justice, peace, love, all of that leading to putting or making things right. God's righteousness and God's expectation of his people is to then be righteous and accomplish righteous things. But when you have unchecked sin that leads to uncontrolled anger, that continues into uncontrolled speech, there's no way for you to be righteous. Anger cannot produce righteousness because it's contrary to God's way. One of the things that I told you last week is pay attention in the book of James how James often quotes Jesus. More often than not, he refers to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But it's not literally Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. James is quoting oral tradition. But listen to what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders should be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is what? Angry. Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Did you notice how Jesus makes that progression without explaining it? He says, don't be angry with your brother. And then he describes what that anger is going to look like. If you insult your brother, if your uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech, you've committed sin. Jesus tells us that the anger cannot produce righteousness because it's contrary to God's way. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, says it like this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Did you notice what Paul says? Don't give an opportunity to the devil because unchecked sin leads to uncontrolled anger, leads to uncontrolled speech, and the reason that it leads to unnecessary destruction is because you give the devil a foothold. You give him an opportunity to take your anger and take your words 
and destroy things with them. So, if the answer is never angry words, James tells us that the answer then is always slow wisdom. Slow wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible, in the book of James, is lived out truth. And James says slow wisdom looks like this, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to what? Hear. Slow to what? Speak. And slow to anger. Anger is a natural emotion. There are going to be moments in your life, just like we talked about frustration, that you are going to become angry. But you have to have self-control. Self-control helps you slow down and have slow wisdom. I don't know if you've ever thought about your emotions like this, but your emotions are like a giant elephant. <laughs> Next time you get angry, just, you know, imagine you're riding on a giant elephant. So there's the giant elephant, and those are your emotions, and you and your will are the rider on top of the elephant, you are some thousands pounds less than the elephant. The elephant can turn and take you off the elephant. The elephant, it could listen or not listen. It has a will of its own. But you are sitting on top of that elephant. And it's your responsibility as the rider and driver of the elephant, elephant to learn how to maneuver and control the elephant. You following what I'm saying? So when you are angry, it's not necessarily wrong that you are angry, but what you do next is up to you. You have to learn to control that elephant. And I think the answer to what we were just talking about, how unchecked sin leads to uncontrolled anger that leads to uncontrolled speech that leads to unnecessary destruction is this, gospel saturation. Okay, follow me. Gospel saturation leads to selfless love that then leads to self-control, which ends in strengthened community. So rather than have unchecked sin, you as a person and a follower of Jesus should be saturated in the gospel. You ever had something or held something in your hand that's saturated? Like, like a sponge. You have so much water and soap in a sponge that you don't even have to do anything. It's just sitting in your hand and it's leaking water because it's filled with water and soap. What James and all of scripture really gets at is that image of being saturated with the gospel. When you are saturated with the gospel, you cannot have unchecked sin in your life. I mean, it's like impossible. It's two realities that cannot coexist at the same time. So gospel saturation leads to selfless love. Why? Because what does the gospel tell us? The gospel story is what? Jesus came and lived and he did what? He died for him, for himself, for us. Selfless love. Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross, and then he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. 
So if you are meditating and saturating your life on the gospel, what is going to happen? You are no longer going to have unchecked sin that leads to uncontrolled anger. If there's anger in your life, and you are saturated in the gospel, what's going to end up happening is the gospel is going to steer you away from uncontrolled anger to selfless love. And that selfless love is then going to lead to self-control. You have anger and you want to fly off the handle and tell that person what you think and feel. But you know if you open your mouth in that anger, it is not going to be selfless love. Amen? Maybe we should all just close our eyes and think about a moment that happened yesterday, right? Yeah, or this morning, or 15 minutes ago, or in the last minute, right? So when you're saturated in the gospel it leads to that selfless love which allows you to practice self-control and it is in self-control that you are then able to strengthen community it's how marriages not only survive but thrive it's how friendships last and it's how churches don't tear one another apart Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. This is how the NIV translated it. Love is not easily angered. Ephesians 4, Paul says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all what? Humility. It's hard for anger and humility to go together. And gentleness, hard for anger and gentleness to go together. With patience, hard for anger and patience to go together. Bearing with one another in love, hard for anger and love to coexist. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what Paul says about being slow in our wisdom. So how do you practice slow wisdom? These are just some things that I thought about this week that I think are worth considering. Number one, examine your heart. When you examine your heart, you're able to see unchecked sin. You're able to see whether or not you are saturated in the gospel. Number two, whatever is going on in your heart, don't let it fester and grow. One of the things that destroys marriages is when you allow bitterness to creep in and allow the bitterness to grow and fester. Don't let that creep in. Always give the benefit of the doubt. I think this is what's wrong with the world. Beyond just like everybody needs Jesus, we just need to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know what that means? That's called extending grace. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Speak face to face. When you are in conflict, when you are angry, do not text, do not, do not email, <laughs> right? We read words in our own voice. And if you are angry, you are just assuming that the person texting or emailing is just as angry as you are. I know we want to avoid conflict, but in these moments, it's best to come face to face. 
that will allow you to speak truth and it will soften your heart and their heart. Number two, there's a right time, a right place, and there are right words. It's not always the right time to deal with conflict. It's not always the right place. And just because you're just telling them the truth, that this is how you feel, doesn't mean that those are necessarily the right words. Right time, right place, right words. Lastly, always pursue reconciliation. You should never, ever, ever want a relationship to stay broken. You should do your very best to pursue reconciliation. But there has to be a source for the slow wisdom that James tells us about. And this is where he goes next. He says, the answer is never ignoring the word. The answer is never ignoring the word. Look at what he says in verses 22 through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he's like. When James is talking about the word, he's already referred to this once in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In the Gospels, more often than not, the Greek word for word is logos. And that word, more often than not, refers to the person of Jesus. He is the spoken word of God. But in James, it has, it has a more primitive understanding. It is simply tied to Jesus, but it is the word of truth, which is, at the core, the Gospel message. So when James talks about the word, what he's getting at is he's getting at how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus should animate who we are and what we do. The word is the truth, and it's fundamentally displayed in the gospel of Jesus. And James tells us then that that word is meant to be done. It is meant to be action, and when we assume that it's only meant to be heard or it's only meant to be believed, what James tells us is we deceive ourselves. This is where I think James is really getting at what it means to be a Christian. It is not enough to believe some truths about Jesus. James is saying, listen, if you really believe the truth of Jesus, let it change you. Where your life is different. You live a different kind of life. You're no longer deceiving yourself. I don't know if you've ever been in a group like this or you've experienced it yourself where you're like, look, they have a problem, but I don't. I, there cannot be anybody in this room that, that you've thought that before. I just don't believe that that's in this room. Sarcasm is my spiritual gift, by the way. I'm just reminding you. Right? We, we self-deceive ourselves. Well, I mean, that's their problem, but I've never dealt with that. Right? They, they are hearers of the word, but bah, I'm a doer. And what James is getting at is do not deceive yourself. So the answer is not ignoring the word. James tells us the answer is always welcoming the word. Look at what he says in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. You know what the perfect law is? How did Jesus summarize the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
the one who looks into the perfect law, that law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. Verse 21, James says, receive the implanted word. The implanted word is that gospel. And when we receive it, it becomes a permanent, inseparable part of who we are, guiding us in everything. And the idea of welcoming I don't know if you've ever welcomed somebody into your home, right? It's like you open the door. You show them where to sit. You say, take a seat. Be my guest. Take your shoes off. You know, when I, depending on my mood, someone comes over to my house, I just text them and forewarn them, hey, I'm in comfy clothes today. Right? You don't have to dress up today. That's what it means to, James tells us to receive that implanted word. We welcome it. We let the word have its way in our heart so that as a person, we learn to live in accordance with what the gospel teaches us. When we welcome the word, it's only then that we're able to become doers of the word. So how do we welcome the word? Let me give you some just helpful tips. Number one, read scripture. All of scripture points to the resurrection, the death, and the life of Jesus. All of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about the story of the gospel, right? I know some of you are a little confused because you're like, hey, for the entire month of September, we're reading the book of James every week. Like James one, James two, James three, James four, James five. For four weeks, what are we doing? And I'm telling you, hey, read it once and then read it again and watch God show you something different. So we need to read scripture. We need to meditate on and contemplate the gospel. We need to clear our minds of distractions and simply begin to think about how Jesus died for you and rose for you and imagine what that means about God's love for you. And if that's true for you, imagine what God wants you to do for other people and how he's called you to love them. Just spend 20 minutes sometime this week meditating on what God has done on your behalf and watch how the word is implanted deeper into you. This is why we practice self-reflection and confession. Taking that time to just set aside and think about, God, what are you doing in my life? Where have I missed it? What do I need to confess? Open yourselves up to others. It is a terrifying thing to ask someone that is close to you to say, hey, maybe I'm missing something. What do you see in me that I don't see? And then in love, they tell you all the things you're blind to. It's the only way that we're able to say, hey, here's a part of me where for whatever reason, I haven't welcomed the word. I haven't allowed the gospel to take hold in this area. And lastly, James just simply says, we got to live it. If you want to welcome the word into your heart and life, don't just read about it. Don't just think about it, but actually begin to do it. Those moments that come up where it's like a split second, you have a decision to make. Will I do this or will I do that? Guess what? That's the Holy Spirit saying, you know what you need to do. Live it out. And for James, this gets incredibly practical as he closes chapter one. 
he leads us to think about this. The answer is never inaction. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He tells us, again, faith is not just belief. An inactive faith is worthless, meaning it is empty, fruitless, useless, lifeless, non-existent. An inactive faith is worthless because it does not lead to righteousness. Remember what we talked about just a point ago? That when you are becoming righteous, you're looking at God and who God is, and you're seeing how God acts, how he lives, how he exists. And if you look at your life and you read your scriptures and you go to church and you do all of the right things, but you're not living out your faith, you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself, James says your faith is worthless. So instead of being inactive, what James tells us to do is that the answer is always action. The answer is always living it out. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, keeping oneself unstained from the world. I don't know about you. You can't sit on your hands and do that. That's action. God cares about our holiness because he's holy which is why we've got to keep ourselves unstained from the world. God cares about our righteousness because he is righteous, which is why we should live a righteous life. God cares about our holiness because he wants us to be holy. God cares about our righteousness because he wants us to be righteous. Action equals holiness plus righteousness. God is active. He's doing things. He's always on the move. And he calls us to be active. You can be and have a contemplative life where you're meditating and reading and processing and praying and confessing and at the same time live an active life where you are serving other people meeting needs, loving the least of these, and caring for those around you. Faith is always active. How will you take action? In the life of vintage over the last couple of years, God has put before us so many opportunities to be active in our faith. I don't know if you know this, but yesterday at Fill the Fridge, it was our second anniversary of serving people. For the last 24 months, we have been providing groceries to people who are in need, right? Yeah. Shout out to my West Jackson friends up here, so thankful for you guys. You know one of the coolest things for me yesterday? We had too many volunteers yesterday. I'm like, what, what has happened? We had five different groups serving yesterday. You guys from West Jackson, Tennessee, 
We had a group from the Lions Club. We had a group from the New Orleans Mission. We had the Scouts with us. There's one other group. Oh, yeah, and Oshner. Like, Oshner's decided to, like, step in and become a part of this. Is that not incredible? Five different groups. And from doing Fill the Fridge, it has opened our eyes to say, okay, what, what, are, what are other needs? What are things going on? Which has led us to start our third and fourth our third and fourth nonprofit to like, look, there are people right now, whether they look like it or not, that are homeless. Whether they're living under a bridge or they're living in their car or they're living couch surfing or they're living week to week out of a motel, what would it look like for us to be able to reverse that curse so that their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids actually live that flourishing life that we talk about? Or what does it look like when a young single mother walks into our church broken in need. Where am I? I'm, you know what? I'm just going to give her Jesus. That's what she needs. She just needs Jesus. Or to say, yeah, yeah, but what would Jesus do? To say there are needs all around us, and if, if we as the church can just say, look, if I help you with that need, what would that do? Like, if I just took that small little burden off you, how might it serve you and your kids? It's about action. Let me encourage you with just a couple of things. Number one, I think the way that we can practice this kind of action is to practice consistent faithfulness. Doing the same right things consistently. Now, that's boring. Sometimes if you just do the same right things consistently, it produces results. God shows up. But number two, prayerful openness. Doing new things that God is leading you to. To not say, well, we've never done that before. Or we've never done it like that before. But instead to open our hands and say, God, we have no idea what we're doing. Would you guide us? Give us wisdom. Help us to take whatever that first step is. So that we can love people and love you well, God. There is a way how to never live as a Christian and a way how to always live as a Christian. My prayer for us is that those percentages that I shared with you at the beginning would increase. That when our neighbors around us see Vintage Church, they will begin to say, there are good things happening there. And you know what? If there's good things happening there, I can actually start to believe that there are good things happening in other churches. Oh, and the pastor's not too bad, <laughs> right? And imagine, 
Imagine if people started to fall in love with the church in such a way that not 71%, but 100% of people began to say, Jesus changed my life and he can change yours too. When we live as Christians, I truly believe that could happen. May we live and be Christianly. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we come before you with James 1 on our hearts. Father, help us to be people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I want to encourage you where you're at this morning just to process those three statements. And maybe in the next moment or two, just say, how am I being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Maybe a particular relationship right now in your mind pops up. You know you've not been quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And you need to repent of that, and you need to ask God to give you that strength. Take a moment. And pray to him. Father, help us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Help us, Father, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. People who have implanted the gospel in our hearts and in our minds, that we are saturated with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Take a moment where you're at. And I just want you to meditate on Jesus' death and resurrection. And thank God for that reality. Father, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, may our faith be action. May our religion be pure and undefiled before you, that we visit those who are helpless. We care for the orphans. We care for the widows. We care for the hungry. We care for the homeless. And in the midst of doing all of that, we keep ourselves holy before you. I want you to ask the Lord this morning, Father, what's the one thing that I need to do this week for my faith to become action? To begin to live it out. Father, may you help us live Christianly this week. May people fall more in love with Jesus because we are more like 
Jesus. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.